Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Lavinia. Welcome to There She Goes, where women writers share true stories of travel. Their stories, their experiences, told in their own voices. One of the reasons we started this podcast is that the first time Kelly and I met, we told each other travel stories. We were complete strangers, but after spending just a few hours trading stories about experiences in Morocco and South Korea, Italy and Greece, we were friends. Our travel stories connected us. We recognized them as important. And we came away from that first meeting feeling validated and inspired. This is the power of women's personal travel narratives. Consider our storytelling podcast a brand new passport, transporting you every week to a different place for a brief escape, sometimes far away, other times closer to home. Consider our storytellers your brand new travel friends, your sidekicks and sisters and guides. Or even therapists. And consider this your chance to hear some of the stories you may have missed. There She Goes is that simple. No chit-chat, no interviews. Just great storytelling by women travelers. We invite you to settle in for the adventure. Today we travel to Uganda with Maggie Downs, to the source of the Nile River, where she braves the raging rapids at the confluence of grief and resilience. Maggie is the author of the memoir, Braver Than You Think, Around the World on the Trip of My Mother's Lifetime, published in 2020 by Counterpoint Press. Her work has been anthologized in the best women's travel writing and Lonely Planet's true stories from the world's best writers. And her essays have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, and McSweeney's, among others. She's based in Palm Springs, California. I'm Maggie Downs, reading my story, The Bad Place. It takes more than two hours by bus to fully escape the frenetic crowds and wild streets of Kampala, Uganda. Finally, the asphalt is exhausted, becoming firmly packed roads of red clay. Dense shoulder-to-shoulder buildings disappear replaced by green trees and modest houses. Each time the bus shudders to a stop, hawkers run to the windows selling skewers of meat, bags of fruit, or warm chapati bread rolled around a thin egg omelet, what they call a Rolex. Men zip through the streets on motorbikes, bare-chested, not slowed at all by the long yellow kayaks that balance perpendicularly across the backs of their bikes. When I see them, that's how I know we've reached Jinja, a bucolic town that has become East Africa's hub for adventure sports. People from all over the world travel here for the kayaking, the all-terrain vehicle safaris, and the epic bungee jumping. I'm here to go whitewater rafting at the source of the Nile River. My backpacker hostel is situated on a hill that overlooks sinuous curves of water. This is where the tour company will pick us up in the morning. I'm staying in a dorm room with several other adventure seekers, all more experienced than I am. I've never been whitewater rafting before, 
But my favorite amusement park ride as a kid was Whitewater Canyon at Kings Island in Mason, Ohio. And for some reason, I imagine this real-life experience will be essentially the same thing. A refreshing float on some burbling water through woodland scenery, a height requirement of at least 46 inches, possibly a funnel cake afterward. As the sun sets, I open a cold Tusker lager and carefully read the waiver for the next day's rafting trip. The paper says the rapids in Jinja are grade five on a scale that runs from one to six. Grade one means mild rocking and rolling, suitable for beginners. Grade six presents extreme danger and barely navigable rapids, even for professionals. So grade five, holy mother of paddling. This requires skillful maneuvering of choppy water, huge hazards, steep drops, and crashing waves. It also means that as a first-timer, I'm suddenly terrified. The chapati bread I ate on my arrival now churns uncomfortably in my stomach. My throat burns and tastes acidic. I knew the rapids were a five before I signed up. I just thought the scale ran from one to 10. That night, I call my husband via Skype. He's in California, and I've been traveling without him for about six months, with another six months of solo travel on the horizon. Jason has been an unfailing supporter of my backpacking dream. He understands that I'm in search of something that has no name and that I must make this journey alone. When he answers the call, I tell him what I'm about to do. I expect him to be proud of me. We met skydiving. He was my instructor, the guy who literally pushed me out of a plane. He knows my desire to live big and boldly, and he's always stoked that fire. So this might be goodbye, <laughs> I laugh. Then why are you doing this? He snaps. He's angry. So different from the man who held my hand on a skydiving aircraft during the ride to altitude. Nobody's forcing you to go rafting. I, I don't know why. I just need to do it, I finally say. We don't discuss the real inspiration for my year-long backing trip around the world. My mother is suffering from early onset Alzheimer's disease. She was diagnosed in 2001. I had already graduated from college and moved away from home. By the time I returned for Thanksgiving that year, she couldn't tell time, remember the president's name, or distinguish my sister from me. With each visit, my mother retreated further, like a secret code I couldn't quite crack. The grief that followed was the slippery kind, ebbing and flowing over the next several years. Some days, I was hardly conscious of the sad, relentless undercurrent that tugged at my heart. Other times, I dreamt about the mom I used to know, the one who left handwritten notes in my lunch bag and baked cherry cake for my birthday. I screamed for her in my sleep, then jolted awake, my face slick with tears. The only redemptive thing about the disease is how it has transformed me. My mom's slow motion descent toward death has motivated me to see the world she never did, gathering my own memories while I'm able, honoring her life by making the most of my own. 
I also know there's a genetic component to Alzheimer's and I might already carry the markers for the disease. That's why 10 years after my mother's diagnosis, I quit my job, left my home and set off to complete her bucket list, which included dancing the tango in Buenos Aires, going on safari in South Africa and seeing the pyramids of Giza. In my hostel room in Jinja, I tell my husband, people always say when you grow old, you'll regret the things you didn't do, not the things you did. That's if you grow old, he replies. It's a joke, but the rest of the conversation is strained. I wish I knew how to comfort him, but it's hard to do over a jumpy internet connection, especially when I'm equally apprehensive. I think about my mother in her quiet yellow room at the nursing home where she was admitted after she became too violent to stay at home with my dad. The remainder of her life will be spent in that hushed and sterile room, a thought that leaves me cold and afraid. My mom hasn't recognized me in years. She no longer has the ability to speak, walk, or feed herself, and she doesn't respond to her own name. But I know she'd rather be facing rapids than losing more of herself each day. I sign the waiver. The next morning, 20 of us are taken by bus from the hostel to the launch point. My heartbeat is pounding so hard, I barely hear the employee who asks for my payment. In return for $50, I'm handed a long paddle. I have no idea how to hold it, even on steady ground. The paddle is awkward and cumbersome, like I've been gifted a third arm. Here at the launch point, the Nile River is jagged, a silver expanse that slices through the morning mist. I slip my toes into the river, the longest in the world. The water I see now will flow north from this point all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, a journey of three months and 6,800 kilometers. From the dock, the rafts look as tiny as poppy seeds floating in an Olympic-sized pool. My boat, which carries four other passengers, all strangers to me, is the last to launch into the river. Our captain is Jane, a long-limbed muscular blonde with hair braided into taut cornrows that reveal tanned strips of scalp. Her Australian accent gives the impression of someone who guzzles stocky cans of Foster's lager and wrestles crocodiles, which is soothing since there are, in fact, crocodiles around us. Jane barks, wild or mild. Our group is divided. Half want the more aggressive experience, while the others want something more subdued. Jane narrows her eyes and shakes her head with disapproval. She looks feral and I'm certain we're in store for something fierce. The air is hot and stagnant, and the rubbery smell coming from the red raft is strong and medicinal. The shore appears far and unreachable, like a distant mirage on the horizon. Insects skim the Nile with grace. Jane teaches us how to hold the paddle and scoop the water, propelling us forward. She chastises me for not digging deep, merely skimming the surface. Then 
After 10 minutes of calm, placid rafting, she suddenly and deliberately tips the boat, forcing us to swim through a set of small, milky rapids. I am plunged into both the river and the memory of the last time I was overpowered by water. My mother, a German immigrant to the United States, never learned to swim, and she wanted me to seize every opportunity she didn't have. So I dutifully attended classes at the YMCA in Dayton, Ohio. And even while I maintained a weak stroke and a strong fear of drowning, I dog paddled my way up through each level, pollywog, guppy, minnow, fish, up I climbed through the aquatic food chain. When I finally attained shark, I was tested on my ability to tread water while fully clothed. The goal was to last a half hour in the deep section of the pool. And toward the end, I gave out. My memory of it is more like a montage of film clips. Sinking, inhaling water, struggling to the surface, coughing, chlorine tears burning my cheeks, and my mom on the side of the pool, howling for help. I remember she was beautiful, even in her panic. Her short, curly blonde hair teased into a halo around her head, her poppy-colored lips frozen into an O. I don't recall a single word she said, only that she looked perfect as usual while I flailed. But that was many years ago. Now, here in eastern Uganda, it's baptism by boulders. I emerge on the other side of the rocks, bruised and with a stomach full of Nile water. I bob to the surface, white-knuckling my life jacket. I'm okay, but I'm frightened. I've put myself in the hands of this Jane woman, and she didn't think twice about tossing me from the boat. After the raft is righted, I hoist myself in again. Jane gives our group the option to bail out now and float down another part of the river in a safety boat instead of tackling more rapids. Go, fool, go, yells the sane part of my brain. But I can't. If I turn back now, I'll always doubt myself. I'll forever be the 11-year-old girl sinking in the deep end at the Y in Dayton. It's a shock when I discover the first few rapids are actually fun. Each time we approach rocks and roaring water, Jane cries, paddle, 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 followed by a quick, get down. We dutifully obey her commands. Our raft successfully skims rapids and slides down waterfalls. We reach a treacherous spot, a series of rapids in quick succession known as Itanda or the bad place. I dig my paddle in. Jane would be proud if she were paying attention, but the raft spirals as though we're not even tending to it. As I heave and grunt, I peek at the other people in my boat and I see we're all grappling with this thing. I see this sturdy, brute determination to survive. On the other side, I'm surprised to find myself aloft. We've made it through. Then we meet the rapids called Silverback, a name Jane speaks with such reverence that I know we're in for it. I can hear it coming. 
The green river churns and crashes against pointed rocks like a terrible bubbling stew. I close my eyes. I don't want to see what's coming. My last visit home before leaving on my backpacking trip, my dad brought me to the nursing home and we entered the elevator. He knew the security code to make the doors close, a safety feature to prevent the Alzheimer's patients from wandering onto another floor or out of the building. And he paused before hitting the button. You might not recognize your mother anymore, he said. The disease has taken a real physical toll in the past few months. I braced myself for the worst, my stomach hard with dread. I closed my eyes. When the elevator opened, my dad gestured across the room. There she is. I forced my eyes to open and saw the skeleton of a woman arranged on a recliner. Her eyes were sunken and her cheeks were two dark hollows. I gasped. No, 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 I cried, the words rushing forth before I could stop them. The waves swallow the boat whole and I'm still not looking. In an instant, I feel the raft drop out from under me and I'm airborne for a brief moment before I am submerged and chewed by raging water. That's not your mother, my dad said gently. Look behind her. She wore no makeup and her hair was gray and limp. Her shirt was nothing pretty and the elastic band of her pants was pulled far too high. But there was no doubt. This was my mother, the woman who birthed me, who nurtured me, who challenged me to become everything she couldn't. She didn't know me enough anymore to love me, but every part of me remembered her. My head barely breaks the surface before the swell hammers me again. When I open my mouth, it is partially underwater, partially above. I inhale a mixture of sweet air and frothy, murky foam. Above, there's muck and dirt and a shimmer of waves. Sour river water slides through my nose, cutting a raw path down my throat. I splash around and somehow my right hand makes contact with the raft. My shoulder feels hot and heavy as I grab the rope and cling to it. My arm is fiercely yanked one way while my body is pulled another. More rapids. In the chaos of rocks and waves, the raft is torn from my grasp. Crocodiles, I think. Oh my God, what about the crocodiles? I curl into a ball, some kind of animal instinct, and then I'm rolling, tumbling downstream, whisked through a channel of noise and turbulence, the container inside of a pneumatic tube. If the crocs are nearby, I'm surely moving too fast for any of them to catch me. When my head breaks the surface again, I don't know how much time or distance has passed, but the water is calm. The boat is gone and I'm alone. I wipe water from my eyes and float for a few minutes, looking up at the vast sky, the river holding me like a hand. Then a safety kayak glides toward me and tows me to a larger safety boat. As I pull myself inside, I cough, but not productively. I try to summon enough muscle to bark out the water in my lungs. A paddle bobs on the surface nearby and I heave it into the boat with me. 
Several minutes later, my sinus is clear. My ears pop. I catch my breath. My heartbeat slows to a normal rate. And it's a relief when more heads bob up nearby, the rest of my group. They swim to the safety boat, and I help tug them inside. Only one girl is bloody, but her cuts are shallow, and our nervous conversation gives way to excited hugs. We are all okay, and the river has offered us solidarity. Swapping stories about our rapids, adrenaline flowing like a geyser, we don't feel like strangers anymore. When Jane appears unscathed from an inlet with our boat, we all cheer. I'm one of the first to leap into the water and swim to the raft, and I'm genuinely happy to be back in it. We drift for about an hour on a placid portion of river. Jane hands me an orange, and I drop the peel into the water. It curls and floats lazily for a moment until it catches a current and is torn away. I imagine it gliding from here through the newly formed country of South Sudan, mingling with sediment from the Blue Nile and White Nile tributaries, sweeping past Egypt's farmlands and tombs, washing ashore somewhere in the Mediterranean. Maybe somebody will find this proof of my existence and wonder where it came from. I think about the letter I wrote my family years ago when I was an active skydiver a letter to be given to them in the event of the worst-case scenario. I kept it in my desk. It explained how my life was richer for them being a part of it and offered assurance that I wanted it to end this way, that death while soaring is both noble and true. I didn't write any letters before leaving for this backpacking trip, and I realize now it's because I fully expect to survive. I've hauled my way through the bad place, and I'm traveling the route that will bring me home again. My legs are tired, and my skin is sunburned. When I look to the horizon, I see churning water. It's time to paddle again. I sit erect in the boat, and I stare down the whirlpools and rocks. When the waves strike, I refuse to close my eyes. This time... I approach them on my own terms. The raft remains steady. The last few rapids, I don't even need to hear Jane's instructions to know what to do. Our boat never capsizes again, and my group successfully finishes 25 kilometers from where we began. It's early evening when I jump from the raft for the last time. The sun sinks behind the tangle of scruffy trees and the river is broad and black, open as a wound. The air has cooled considerably, and the water is chilly. I keep my limbs warm with a few head-high freestyle strokes, making shimmery waves with each movement. My new friends call for me from the muddy bank, but I'm not ready to head for shore yet. I remember from school that the Nile is shaped like the lotus flower a symbol of renewal from the ancient Egyptians. Right now, I am in the stem, pulling myself toward the blossom. You've been listening to There She Goes, 
a storytelling podcast created by two women travelers and recorded from their homes in Alabama and Louisiana. Our theme music is a selection from the song City of Refuge, created and performed by Abigail Washburn. Thanks to Jay Burgess for engineering. Thanks to our amazing writers for proving how essential women's stories are and for bringing their voices to There She Goes. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming along. We hope you'll be back next week for another story and another stamp in your new passport.